brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. A show that looks at Kansas City baseball's past, present, and future. High fly ball. Motley going back to the track. No outs to go. have won the 1985 World Series. Bouncing ball, Moustakis, fair ball. Sets, throws, Royals win it. Kansas City, you've got a World Series. This is the Kansas City Baseball Vault. And welcome into the Kansas City Baseball Vault, brought to you by Kelly's Westport. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a ton of stuff to talk to you about. It has been a little bit since we've had a show. Unfortunately, uh, there's been a lot of Royals baseball that's happened. Mike's been a little bit under the weather. I've been a little bit under the weather. Timing didn't work out, but we're here again now, and there has been so much to talk about. But before we get to all of that, some of the formalities, I, of course, am your host, Jeff, are with me, as always... The indestructible Michael England. No <laughs> throat source will take him down, ladies and gentlemen. He is here for you, no yep. matter what. Now, for those of you who've been with us for a while and have heard back, reaching all the way back to the KC Royal Man Report days, you might remember a former co-host by the name of Chris Kamler, otherwise known as the Fake Ned, formerly Fake Ned Yost, and he's back. He is back here with us as a special guest. Chris, how are you doing on this fantastic evening? Well, I, you know, I, you guys reach way back. I reach way back further. Um, but that's another story altogether. I'm not even sure what you're referencing. But... I think we covered that in the outtakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just... Hi, guys. It's good, it's good to be on. I, uh, I especially enjoyed the part where you guys weren't having shows. That was my best part. That was my favorite part of the uh, – you know, you'd be surprised how many emails we get about how many yeah. people like the, the fact that we skip a lot of shows and don't record. They're like, <laughs> are you guys doing a show anytime soon? 
that please, don't please, please no. Uh, that usually I, I like to think that means we're doing things things right. We're doing it the right way, if you will. If I have learned nothing from the last couple of months, I've learned that if people are calling you names, you're probably doing something correctly. There you go. What is it? They don't boo nobodies. That's right. Yeah. There it is. Just ask Robinson Cano. Yeah. $25 million a year. So that'll be us someday in the podcast. What's the podcasting equivalent of the $250 million contract or whatever that he signed? And not it's losing money. Zero. <laughs> uh, baseball uh, baseball so reference? Uh, advertising thing, maybe? That was, that was the know. pinnacle right there? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we got... We got plenty, we got tons of royal stuff, folks. We have not since opening day. We we have not had a show, and right now, the Royals are sitting at seven and two. Clearly, after nine games, one of the better teams in the league. And there was a ton of experts that were downplaying the Royals after being American League champions last year oh they're not going to get back to the playoffs you had pagoda pagoda projections having them at 72 wins and other places having them in at wins in the high 70s low 80s but they weren't going to be able to replicate for an entire season what they did and it's it's way too early to draw any sort of conclusions but after seven or after nine games and with a seven and two record i mean the Rose have just been killing folks and they look really good they're on a little two-game skid here but hopefully if they come back to kansas city play Oakland in the uh, wild card game rematch. They'll be able to take, uh, kind of get off the mini, the mini schneid, if you will. Uh, but gentlemen, give me, give me your thoughts here. I mean, we've got, this has been quite a ride here this last week and a half. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. Uh, the, you know, they come right out of the gate. And the thing that really struck me was like, they're scoring runs. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, last night's game, they didn't score runs, but that's okay. You know, every other game, they put up some some numbers. I mean, the first seven games, they scored like 52 runs. They weren't giving any up. They were hitting home runs. They've hit a homer in eight out of nine games. So that's a team that they're not only doing the same stuff they were doing in October, using their speed, getting on base, using their defense. They're hitting for power, too. And from guys like, you know, Lorenzo Cain has two homers and, and Kendris Morales, who... A lot of people really didn't like, you know, in that when he signed this winter, he's got two homers and he's hitting a couple doubles too. So they've got a a pretty solid looking lineup right now. Um, is that going to regress? Yeah, that's probably going to fall back a little bit, but you know, still, they've got those first seven wins right out of the gate. That's you can't take those away. Those are on the board. So uh, it's a nice jump start for the Royals. And when you see other teams like Cleveland, who has some injuries, Chicago, who the Royals swept right away and they haven't looked good, you know, it's about as good a first week of this as you can really want uh, out of a team coming off of a World Series. Yeah, I, I would agree, uh, Mike. And, and it's the way that they're doing it. It's so uncharacteristic from how they won at the end of. September and October, they were winning with defense and speed. Well, they're still doing that. Uh, they were also winning with the end of their bullpen. They're still doing that. But they've all they've been able to replace, you know, at least through nine games, James Shields. They've been able to replace Billy Butler. They've been able to, you know, some of the, the very few holes that this team had. And they, it seems, at least through, through so far, that they've been able to upgrade a couple of those positions. Alex Rios, obviously, he's out for a month or so with a hand, but he was able to hit a couple of homers. And they're just doing it 
in a way that I, I was not prepared for them to win ball games. I guess you could have told me that the team would be seven and but I would have thought that they had won those games, you know, two to one, three to one, three to two. You know, they're winning games eight to four and, and nine to nothing and, and just very unca- uh, uncharacteristic. And I would be curious, you know, Jeff, you mentioned um, it's not sustainable. I would be curious as to see, you know, when this team falls down to earth, if they could, if they could make this run into May when traditionally they have really crappy maze um you know it it might just be a two dog race in may which is amazing i i'm not sure we're all prepared for that but i i've been very impressed with how they've done it yeah and something interesting you know you you talk about filling a lot of the holes that we had uh dan zimborski who we've had on the show um we had him on i don't know how long a month or six weeks ago ish yeah. but um he had an interesting stat and he's kind of one of the many who aren't necessarily ready to crown the royals but one of the people that um the large large group of experts quote unquote that picked the royals the uh, stat to guys. regress yeah that picked the royals to regress quite a bit and are kind of changing their tune a little bit <clears throat> and what's interesting i thought uh, that he recently put out in one of his articles is that, you know, based on what the Pakota projections were at the beginning, I'm going to try and not get too nerdy on this, but um, based on what the Pakota, Pakota projections were um, before the season, you know, they were close to a 500 team. Uh, and the, you know, theoretically they should be, you know, after, and this was, he wrote this after seven games. So, you know, three and four, four and three, somewhere in that range. And the fact that they were three games above what they would have been or what they theoretically should be, they basically, from a statistical standpoint, have already accounted for the loss of James Shields, who was a three-war player last year. So, I mean, when you look at it like that, I mean, they've already made up so much ground. And yeah, it's only nine games, but, you know, and after seven games being undefeated it's it's still a it's it's a it's a really big deal because a good start like that can really help i mean just look at the 2003 team you know that team was nowhere near as good as this team is and they just had such a hot start and they were able to keep it rolling and the only thing uh, i'm I'm a little they they weren't able to keep it rolling but they were able to to kind of ride it out as long as they could and stay with it yeah jeff the only thing i'm a little bit concerned about is that (laughs) rolling right along with us are the are our friends in detroit and, you know, they're, they don't seem to be – I was one of the folks that kind of figured that they wouldn't be as good this year with some of their pitching issues. But Miguel Cabrera looks absolutely beast mode. And uh, their pitching seems to be okay. Verlander's still a question mark. But, you know, they, they didn't go away. Like, I think, you mm-hmm. know, maybe the Indians were going to come up and the White Sox are going to come up. This is going to be the Royals and the Tigers at least through June – and uh, that scares me a little bit. It's going to be a huge series. What at the first of, first of uh, May, I think when that when we either go up there or they come yeah. down here, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be something something to watch for. And I think it's I, been great. I think the Tigers are getting a kick out of being pushed a little bit by the Royals, and the Royals are, you know that that you cannot put a number, you can't put a WAR figure, you can't put a Pakota projection, you can't put it on what happened in October. This team learned how to win, and, uh, you know, they've won at every level. They've won at double-A AA and triple-A and now at the major leagues, and 
I think that that right there is worth whatever number you want to put on it. But this this is a team that that is clearly fundamentally different from a uh, a mental standpoint than they were this time last year. Yeah, they're hyped up. They and they have a chip on their shoulder, and that you know the intangibles. They're they're always tough. I mean, they're intangible. You can't see them, but you watch this team, and it's like they're fighting for each other every single time, and it's uh, that's a lot of fun. So it's, it's kind of like you never left October. Uh, it's kind of like last year's slogan was always October. Well, they're still kind of in October. <laughs> but <Yeah>. speaking <laughs> of October, I know we've got Chris only for just a limited amount of time, so we can go in depth on this uh, season start. But we want to talk about your book. And uh, you know, that's, for those... that's right. You heard that right. Okay. For, for, those, <laughs> okay. for those who don't know, Fake Ned actually wrote a book, and uh, if you follow Fake Ned, I don't know how you wouldn't know that he had written a book, but um, <laughs> well, I, I'm just speaking the truth here, man. There it is. <laughs> so tell, like, how did it start? How did it, the idea start? Like, did was did you sit down and write and realize half a book already, or did somebody come to you and say, hey, I want you to write a book, or did it just happen to appear and, and you just kept going with it? Yeah, so I had I had been writing some articles for Lesky's website uh, through through the Sungwoo visit, and and you know Lesky's website was was uh, very important to this whole story because th- that's where I was kind of putting out announcements when he was coming to town for the first time uh, in August. That you know it started with a Pine Tar Press um, story, and and I just kind of kept dotting stories in. We. And they, they to this day are still the the largest, um, the highest hit you know stories on Pine Tar Press and and whatnot. And so I I recognize obviously that it was something unique, and something that was getting a lot of play. Uh, and so I continued to write. Sometimes I wrote for Lesky's website. Sometimes I wrote for the newspaper that I I write a weekly column for. And sometimes I just wrote notes myself. I took a lot of pictures through Sung Woo, through his first visit, um, and. You know, that entire week, that 10 days, I, I'm just completely, my life is forever changed. And I, you know, I, I, people who have, have heard me tell this story are probably tired of me telling it, but it it was just (laughs) the, the emotion and you guys included, um, the emotion of, of Kansas Cityans reacting to this guy and the emotion of him reacting to Kansas Cityans was you know, I've lived in this town 42 years. I'm born and raised. I, I just wasn't prepared for it. I had become uh, cynical and and you know jaded and and Wait. just like a lot. A lot. I, I know, I know. Buy it. Not, stop the press. <laughs> but it just was something that that I, it was an experience I have never never had before, and I probably will never will never have again. And so I I did. I went home and and started writing you know little stories, little tidbits. Several of those uh, stories just became full chapters in the book. Um, there's one about him visiting uh, a Korean um, a Korean memorial with a, a fan who followed him from uh, Springdale, Arkansas, and several other things. And I, so you know, I had probably maybe a third of the book written just from blog articles that I just kind of expanded on and and wrote larger. But but after the after, and, and, and then October happened, and, and I had kind of experienced it in a unique way as well. You know, I went to the wild card game with Rainey Gisarely and a guy who worked for MLB.com, 
and you know that their wild card game was something I'm, I'll never experience again. And then you know going to the playoffs with my son and going to the you know I, there's a story in the book about meeting an umpire. Uh, and he happened to be working that World Series, and so I got to hang out with him a little bit, and, and just these oddities, these interesting little little tidbits, and and I started writing them down. I started kind of organizing a little bit. I, I literally just went away for a weekend in uh, November and tried to organize a little bit, and I, I turned it out with a you know 175 page book out of it um, that then. I'd never written a book. I'd never wanted to read a book. I, my, my best format is 140 characters. And my second best (laughs) format is, is 500 to 600 words. And so this was beyond my scope of knowledge, but I started talking to people, you know, you guys and Lesky and, and other friends, um, that, uh, you know, knew a little bit about the book business. I've got a buddy who's a, who's a, a publisher and, and they said, no, you could totally do this and turn this into a book. And I knew timing was somewhat, important. So I, I tried to get it out there and, and we ended up getting it out in May or in March. I'm sorry. And, uh, it turned into, you know, after reading it, it's, it's, I don't think it's what people would expect. You know, Matt folks has written now two books about October and they're mm-hmm. very, very good. You know, one of them's a coffee table book and one of them's about Dayton Moore, Ethan Bryan, who is a guy who writes about baseball a lot. You know, they've, they've written tremendous, um, memoirs of October. This is not that book. This is, um, more of a personal project for me. It's some very, very, uh, personal, some emotional stories. And it's, it's just about a group of fans that, that, uh, experienced something cool. And I, you know, I may have, may have put it into words. I may not have, but it was something that I had to write and uh, the, the feedback on it has been uh, extremely positive. And, and folks who have read it are saying it's, it's not terrible. It's <laughs> <laughs> a win. Which is cool because, I mean, you put, you know, you put, you put stuff out there on the Internet all the time and it, it gets thrown and whatever and regurgitated. But you put something like this out there. This is a, this is a, a I, I hope to treat it as a big deal because it, it just needed that gravitas a little bit and, and it's a fun book and whatever. I don't know. That's a long story to a, a short answer, but I, it, it really was something that I didn't know how to do. And I kind of learned along the way, uh, how to write a book. It's self-published. I didn't go through a publisher or anything. Um, I, I paid for it, uh, out of Kickstarter funds. There were 113 people that, that donated, uh, money to help get the first printing, um, done. And, uh, you know, so far we've sold over half of, of our first printing. So it's, it's hmm. been very well received. Well, you talk about, I mean, the response of Kansas City to Sung Woo. I mean, we saw some of that in 2012 in the All-Star Game. I mean, Kansas City. I mean, it's just built for baseball. I mean, the people are just rabid for it. And you give them a cause to go for, and it seems latch on to it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, this has always been this. This always has been a baseball town. I mean, the you know Marty Schottenheimer came in and and reinvigorated the Chiefs uh, program here, but but this was always a baseball town. And, and one of the one of the chapters in the books kind of talking about me growing up out there, you know, and what my childhood experience was. I was um, I was thirteen or fourteen when the Royals went to the '85 World Series. I was at Game Seven and. And then it just went dormant for so long. 
so it never died. I mean, it was it was always there, um, as evidenced by the fact that this, you know, online community, Twitter, Royals Twitter, and you know that the, the eighty six podcasts that there are, and the ninety two <laughs> blogs, and you know, this is a town that that just wanted something, and I think we got it in October. I think we we were paid back for a lot of a lot of belly aching and groaning and, and hoping and wishing and praying. And, and, uh, well, I'll tell you what, that wild card game and that world series, that was something else. Yeah. You know, um, it was something where you talk about Marty Schottenheimer coming in with the chiefs. Like my experience is a little bit, I'm a little bit younger than you guys. So my experience is a little bit different and it just kind of goes to show, you know, if you catch kind of in that right window, it can just determine a fanhood for an entire, for a generation really. And, you know, my, my dad, you know, when he grew up, uh, chiefs, the, the chiefs, like they had their little run, but when he was really coming of age, they kind of stunk and the Royals were coming up and they were really good. And now I'm, I was in a position where, uh, I, I like to think, you know, I, for my first, you know, eight to 10 years, you don't really know what the hell's going on. You root for who your parents root for. And that's kind of it, you know? And then once you finally get, that eight, nine, ten, you can kind of start to start to take a little bit more pride in it. And at that time, for me, you know, the Royals were 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 nothing. You know, George Brett had retired. They, um, you know, Bob Hamlin was 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 the next superstar, and he failed. And it was just kind of like they were starting the decline. Ewan Kaufman had passed away, and it was it was just lots of this turmoil. And Marty Schottenheimer had come just a few years before, and then all of a sudden the Chiefs were they were making the playoffs every year, and they were fun and exciting, and they were good. And so that's where my fandom went. You know, my my energy and extra, you know, dollars and everything went towards the Chiefs because that was the more exciting thing at that t- that point in time. And, you know, it finally got to the, the point where I'm an adult, and I'm like, God, I just I want to see the Royals in the playoffs once. I just want to see it. And I was like, I got to go to a game. I want to go to – I want to be at one playoff game at, Roy- at Kauffman Stadium in my lifetime. That was, the, that was as far as it got. And last year was, was finally it. And I, got, I was able to go to two playoff games last year, and it was every bit as awesome – as you would have thought. And I never seen this town like this to your, to, to your point. And I haven't read your book yet. I'm going to, I still need to, to, to pick up my copy from you, but it, like the, I mean, there was the Monday night chiefs game that they're, they blow out the Patriots, right? Team that, in, that ends up winning the Super Bowl, and the chiefs were on a roll at that point. And as you're leaving the stadium, you know, it's, it's let's during go Royals. baseball playoffs. Let's go Royals. Like was, I'd never seen anything like it. I've been to lots of chiefs, Chiefs have had some really good teams. I've been to lots of games, lots of Chiefs playoff games. I've never seen anything like what happened in October to this town. It was phenomenal. It kind of, it makes you choke up a little bit because it was so awesome to see this town respond like that. I've just never seen anything like it. And, and so that was really the challenge be, uh, to try to put some of that t- into words um, because I, I, I hadn't seen it like that in 29 years. I had seen it like that before, but, but obviously this was, this was different because this was very, very much more, I don't know, tactile or whatever, because the, the games were so incredible. You went on that eight, eight and O run, um, into the world series. And it was just, it was ridiculous. It was uh, the, the wildcard game. I, I was there and I just, re- I remember just standing there literally for a half an hour in my seat, just not able to physically move. I, I had never seen it. I'd, 
I've umpired baseball for 25 years. I've, I've done all this other goofy stuff with you guys. And I just, I'd never seen anything like that before. And I, and I think I recognize that I never will <laughs> again. Uh, but it just, it was something that I had to get out and, and write down. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was kind of my mission with that pro with the project. Well, I don't know if we got anything else for you. I mean, <laughs> We're, I mean, just we don't having, wanna, uh, we're just having feels here. It's remember yeah. the playoffs is really what it comes down to. The uh... and you know what you know what the best part is. And Cameron, let me let me get your thoughts on this because we've talked about this on the show before. I brought it up to Mike, and um, <clears throat> so with the Royals, with the start that they're on now, um, you talked about you know they learned how to win and all that. And my comparison, the thing that really jumps out to me is, and you know. I'm I'm a big football fan, but I, I look to the the 2008 New York Giants, and when you look at them, the the year before was 2007 season. The Patriots were undefeated, and the Giants. If if you if you remember that time, Tom Coughlin was on the hot seat. He was people were thinking that maybe it was past his time and he needed to be fired. Eli Manning, people were ready to give up on him as a starting quarterback for the Giants, maybe trade him away, get something for him, whatever. They squeak into the playoffs and then they go on this magical run and they beat the undefeated Patriots. And then the next year in 2008, they came in and they just destroyed everyone. I mean, they were clearly the best team in the league. And it was, you know, there was a different attitude, a different swagger. They, there's something that clicked and you know, all that learning to win stuff. Sometimes I think it's overrated, but with this particular team, that's what it kind of feels like. And I even felt like that, you know, before when the run was, even while it was going on, I was like, you can tell it's different. Something's clicked with them. And, you know, we've seen multiple times this year already where they'll give up a home run in the first inning or they'll give up a run, you know, the 2012 Royals that started three and 14, they would have crumbled under that scenario and lost the game eight to one or something, you know, but this team, yep. they come right back and they score again in the next inning and they end up creaming them. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it, it feels completely different. I mean, is that, is that your feeling as well? Are you along those same lines there? Uh, um, to a degree. Yes. Um, these guys clearly continued to work in the off season. The, the taste of being 90 feet away is, is, was clearly, a tone. Mike Mustakas, I would have not predicted that he would have worked on his game as much as he clearly has by, you know, sacrificing and bunting and trying to hit to, to all fields now. I would not have bet that Eric Hosmer had worked on his game as much as he had. Salvador Perez, you know, that kind of figured that, Alex Gordon. But some of the the the, the cornerstones of this team, this team is is gonna play to the to the level that that Moose and Hosmer play. And that's that's quite simply how this team is going to play because that's how they played in October. And that's also how they played in June when they were six, seven games out. Um, those guys clearly worked on it. They were not happy with the outcome last year and they are, they've just come out like a bat out of hell. Um, and it's been really, really cool to watch. It, it really, really has. And what you have seen is you've seen Alex Rios and, and the guy, the new guys come in going, Hey, this is, really something a part of it. I I remember the Pirates a few years ago having that one really, really good season and then going away. But then you also look at, at examples like the San Francisco Giants, who 
are not a upper tier team. I would not consider them up until the, you know, except for the three world series uh, championships in five <laughs> yeah, years, small detail, but, but they're not a Boston Red Sox. They're not a, they, they're not a know, juggernaut. Even those, even those not years that they, yeah, even those years that they've won, they don't, they're very they don't play like an elite team. They yeah. play like a they, team that's kind of good enough to be in the playoffs. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the teams that are going to start winning, you know, the Red Sox and Yankees spend and spend and spend every year. The Cardinals spend every year. The, you know, you the Dodgers, that type of thing. That may not be what you what you need at this point in time. And it's interesting also to see this Dayton Moore is now the Sherpa of baseball. All these teams trying to, to do it like Dayton Moore in the offseason. It's just it's fascinating. I, I that that is one of the parts that I want to read about uh, about Matt's book is, you know, for all we trash Dayton Moore and have through the years I you know it worked <laughs> I don't know I I wouldn't have bet on it working but it no. has and and the fact that it's worked <clears throat> through two weeks of the season after all of this craziness is is awesome it's really really cool and one of the things that surprised me the most and you mentioned it uh talking about Morales and Rios and the new guys coming in and you know really kind of embracing being a part of it 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 feels like after last year, now now that the team has some confidence, how they have something they can point to, that flag that's hanging up out, you know, at, at the Royals Hall of Fame that says American League Champions, they have something they can look at and see that's tangible. And they they can lean on that when trying to establish a culture. You know, it, it always seemed like there was a losing culture for so long around the Royals, which is more or less the same way as saying that there wasn't any culture at all because it was just, you know, people kind of just doing whatever they did because it was a, Reggie there Sanders wasn't a, showing up and yeah, you know, there was a lot of like, maybe, maybe if we get a couple of veterans, it'll spice things up and that never worked. And maybe we just bring up all the young kids and see if that way and that never worked. And, you know, they finally kind of got the right mix and it really feels like instead of Jose Guillen coming and doing his own thing, uh, it is, you know, Alex Rios and Kendrys Morales are coming in to be a part of the Royals and to buy in to the culture that they've established. And a lot of that goes credit to James Shields, I think, who's obviously no longer here. But I think he had a big part in that. And I think the team, the, the players have carried that on. And I mean, it's something that for me, it's that's that's probably the most amazing thing is I really feel like there's there's something that they're there's that culture there that they're establishing that can carry on when players leave like Herrick Hosmer in a few years possibly and, and so forth that I think is really the most valuable part of everything that they've accomplished so far. Well, they have, uh, you're, they have an identity is what they have is, you know, they know who they are. They know who they aren't and mm-hmm. they focus on what the, the biggest attributes are. They, they're a, a, a high energy defensive team that steals bases, that makes contact, that, uh, you know, goes six innings and hands it off to the three cyborgs at the back of the bullpen, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun to watch when it works. It's it's frustrating when you know they're not hitting like you know the other night, but you know when it works, it's it's really exciting stuff. And that's why you know even nationally last October, a lot of fans were really rooting for the Royals because it was a fun kind of baseball. Um, but now, you know, this last week, I, a lot of fans, I think, kind of hate the Royals because they're still as demonstrative as they were, you know, the theatrics and the, you know, whatever celebrations they're doing after a homer. Um, and teams don't like that now. So, or fans yeah, don't I, like that now, So, I, 
I heard uh, I heard Buster Olney this morning on on uh, I think there's Border Patrol and and he says this team is playing like a college team and I I couldn't agree more with that. This is like a you know a uh, a team like, almost like a Kansas basketball team that that it, their freshmen are really terrible and then they become juniors and then they're pretty good and then they have some success they go to a Final Four and then that senior year. You're uh, you're unstoppable because you've learned over the last few years to win. And it's a lot like a college baseball team that if you watch a lot of college baseball, they are they are crazy. (laughs) They jump over railings and they you know, they they have they show up to the park with dirty uniforms. And it's it's it really is more of a college environment. And that you, you mentioned to Jeff, James Shields is it's the reason he was brought here. He wasn't brought here you know, for a four ERA or whatever he had, you know, his last year, he was brought here to teach Eric Hosmer and Danny Duffy and Luke Hochaver and Mike Moustakas how to be a major league winning uh, baseball player. And and I think he, he will probably not get as much credit as he deserves when the history books are written, but he's, he's a big part of this. I miss James Shields though. I do. <laughs> I would like him back, but <clears throat> Economics of baseball being what it yes. is, there it is. So, and yeah, we can get into that later. But yeah, I think now we'll, uh, <clears throat> Kimler, it's been it's been fantastic having you on, doing a little trip down memory lane, man. I know you got to go, so we're gonna we're gonna let you get back to it. What whatever it is that you're doing, I know you've always no, got. I don't really want the details. You so, don't need to tell us. Yeah, I, I, well, there will be pictures on Instagram later. I you guys are are I, I love you guys uh, dearly, and you're always. Um, I don't know, whatever that was going to be. Hey, you guys wanted, you guys also mentioned in your email, you wanted an update, a Jimmy update. Oh, that's so right. Fassler. I give you a quick update. So we, uh, Dave Darby and, and myself and several others um, started that GoFundMe campaign when Jimmy got shot. And this is, you know, I think this is part of the, this is why this is part of the story. And I think it's an important part of, stuff that's not going to get told from an MLB perspective is that this fan base became a, 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 a family or a, you know, broken family or whatever you want to call it, but it became more than a just a community. It, yeah. It became more than just a, a traditional fan community. It became uh, closer and tighter than that through September and October and through the five years of internet fandom that we've all had. And so when Jimmy got shot right before opening day, um, we raised some money for him. We raised uh, a five-digit amount that that went directly to his bills, um, and that was just really credit to um, your listeners and and people out on on social media and Twitter. And I know there was some gruff about it, and that's okay because I think at the end of the day, a guy uh, a guy who didn't have two nickels to rub together. Let's face it, he's a he's a social worker and a Royals fan. So any any expendable income he has goes to Royals tickets and. Uh, we were able to raise a significant amount uh, to help him with his bills. And so I just want to thank everybody for for that. He's doing really, really well. Um, he got shot in the upper torso and it went down in through his like stomach and into his spine. And so it was it messed up a lot of stuff. And so he had to have his appendix out and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so he'll be in physical therapy for a while, but he's already been to a, a couple of Royals games and. And, uh, you know, that I think the Royals are really helping, uh, you know, pull through, pull him through. So thank you to everybody for helping with that. And that's a real testament to this 
you know, what, you know, Troy and you guys and Lesky and, and, you know, the star and, and all of these people are, have helped build is you're right, Mike, this dysfunctional, but yet, you know, you, you bitch and moan about your relatives, but you always make sure to come back for Thanksgiving, that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and we take care of our, our own and we try to, and, and, uh, so that was really nice of folks. So thank you very much. Hey, thanks. <clears throat> thank you for all that you've done. Um, you know, it was, it was really great to see, um, you know, there was some kind of whatever backlash, but, you know, outside of all that, you know, it was really great to, to see so many fans rally around, you know, somebody who, who did need the help. So um, that was that was fantastic to see. Always good to see people doing nice things. Um, but for those for those of you who have not yet picked up Candler's book, go pick it up. The the. What's the? It's um, the whole title. I'm I'm blanking on it here. It's it's, uh, it's called the the silence, the series, and the season of Sungwoo, and yep. it it at, it is at camlerbook.com. That's K A M L E R book. You could come or, up with that name yourself. Yeah, I know. For the website, it's <laughs> a good one. So if I write a second book, I'll have to write camlersecondbook.com. <laughs> I'm gonna bad, go. But, I'm gonna uh, go. I'm gonna go uh, reserve that on GoDaddy right now. And make you buy that from me. <laughs> book. Squat. <laughs> you can also get it at Amazon. It is the 288,000th uh, book on their bestseller list. Very proud of that. And and up until a few days ago, it was available at the KU bookstore. But I guess they're out now because there must have been a fire or some water damage, <laughs> water damage at the back. <laughs> so yeah. it's gone to spoilage. <laughs> yeah, those yeah, copies are gone. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks again for coming to join us. I know I know you're an awfully busy man, so we'll have to do oh, this yeah. again sometime. It's always always fun to, to go down memory lane, but we'll have to do it again sometime during the season. Awesome, guys. Take care. All right. See you, Chris. Come to Spit Cup this week. We'll let the person who has the highest bar tab ride the bull. We don't have any TVs in our bar, but we make our own entertainment. Mondays, it's free cover charge to anybody with a gun rack in their pickup truck. Tuesdays, we've got $8 beer night. All domestic beers are on special for only 8 bucks. It's Spit Cup. Wednesdays is longest tobacco spit. Thursdays is foot fungus night. Friday night is Jamboree night. Bring your crap kicking your 10-gallon hats. And this weekend, you get our world-famous Spit Cup girls. You get to pick which one has the most teeth. It's Spit Cup. Or you could go to Kelly's Westport Inn. The highest quality drinks with the lowest prices. You know what we do. Drinks, friends, plenty of TV showing sports. They've got all the basketball and all the baseball on. Live music on the weekends. The best pizza in Kansas City and fun. Kelly says the best rooftop patio in town and is voted one of the best places in Kansas City to check out the view. If you know what I mean. And maybe make a new friend. Make the best choice for your evening entertainment. Kelly's Westport Inn. Kelly's is at 500 Westport Road in Kansas City, Missouri. Kelly's Westport Inn. And welcome back into the Kansas City Baseball Vault. Thank to, brought to you by Kelly's Westport Inn. Thank you for sticking with us through that break uh, after having our uh, 
fantastic guest from the olden days. From way Chris back. Kinkler, the fake Ned on Twitter. If you don't follow him, you should. If anything, he's Well, good, you don't need to follow him that You bad. don't need to him. But if anything, he's good for a laugh, usually at him more than with him. But true. that might be how he prefers it. So <laughs> that's okay. Um, but anyway, we hit on a lot of stuff in that first segment that we weren't able to fully delve into because Kamler had some some time commitments that he had to um, had to go to. So we're going to get back into there. And one of the things that we actually didn't really hit on that much that we're going to start with is everybody's favorite topic in Kansas City right now, Jordano Ventura. First of all, after our last show, uh, nearly right after the last show, it came out, the Royals signed Jordano Ventura to a very – um, Sal Perez-like extension, contract extension. Mm-hmm. It was, um, and correct me on some of the numbers here if I'm wrong, Mike, five years, $23 million with uh, two two option years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, which so, is a really, really nice deal. Like, just, uh, I mean, I remember, like, it was, like, 1130 at night on, on like, a Saturday, I think, uh, just before opening day, and, Jeff Passan had the scoop. He must have landed in Kansas City, and the first person he found was Dayton Moore and got yeah. this out of him or something. Dayton Moore has the sign that says Passan at the right, end. Right, right. <laughs> I got yeah. some news for you, Passan. <laughs> if anybody's ever met Jeff Passan, he's like five foot six. He looks about 14 years old, so he's probably an unaccompanied minor on the plane. Yeah. Um, it's just, just, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just an awesome deal. I mean, that's the Royals have really. You know that's been kind of one of their hallmarks, and it gets overlooked a little bit because I, I guess time just passes and you you forget about it. But like, you know, they've they've been able to get Alcides Escobar on a good extension. They got Sal Perez on a good extension. Dayton has gotten Alex Gordon and Billy Butler and Zach Greinke on extensions at different points. And so uh, Ventura was like the next guy. I mean, they made him the opening day starter. They you know saw a lot of him out of you know in the playoffs, and so. Seem like a natural fit, and when you can get a guy like that, who could be a number one starter for years, and you can get him at you know less than five million a season on average, uh, that's pretty good. You know, I mean, you're going to pay a little more up front, obviously, because it's kind of part of the deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as we've seen with other extensions, you know, you you get a little more early. Um, you know, and part of the reason why he's doing this extension now is because he got, I think it was like $28,000 as a signing bonus. Um, maybe it's like 50000 I don't remember the number offhand. Um, when he signed when he was 16. And so, you know, all the way through the minors, he was just making minor league money. And so that's why you see a lot of these guys sign these early extensions because, well, now he gets, you know, a couple hundred thousand more per year the next couple of years. And then he starts guaranteeing that he's going to get millions. And so it's a win-win for everybody. And plus the Royals are able to get those two option years. I mean, he's going to be like 30 years old when his contract is up and he's going to be able to go out on the market himself still and probably get one more big contract. But in the meantime, the Royals get seven years of a guy that they think very highly of. And so, you know, they do it at a really affordable rate for a team like Kansas city who can't really fight for the John Lester's and Max Scherzer's out there, this is what they have to do. And they went and did it. And so uh, I, I, everybody, I don't know anybody who's not thrilled with it. I mean, there's questions about like, well, why so soon? What if he gets hurt? I don't know. I mean, he can be like a nine, 10 win player, uh, you know, wins above replacement and probably 
kick the value back into the contract. And he's he's already got, you know, two and a half wins on his career as it is. So, um, you know, I think it's a really good bet for both guys, for both sides. Yeah, I, I don't think you could ask for much more in this situation if you're the Royals. <clears throat> He's under club control already, but now you you do away with uh, excuse me, do away with arbitration mm-hmm. and you know what you're gonna spend on him. You know what you're gonna years. spend, and it could get to the situation like Salvador Perez is pretty much already at that if he does turn into that number one starter and as an aside, if what's really interesting with your with your Donna Ventura is if you hear you listen to experts talk about him, and the caveat is always well if he stays healthy because nobody seems to think that he can due to the fact that he has more of a slight frame for a starting pitcher he doesn't have that workhorse looking frame but if you if 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 you take that out of the equation you know and just say assuming he stays healthy the the ceiling isn't, you know, a number one type of the, the ceiling is more or less limited or I'm sorry, limitless. I mean, that's what people, the, the scouts really seem to think is that he can be as good as he wants to be more or less. And it's, it's really quite intriguing. So when you think about that and think about the fact that, you know, four years from now, you could be looking at a top three pitcher in all of baseball yeah. And he's making just a few million dollars a year when Clayton Kershaw is over there making 30 million and it could be, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be Clayton Kershaw, but I mean some of the some of the scouts think that he can get to that that tier if you will, you know, the David Price type tier and if that's where he's at and making a quarter the money that they're making. I mean, how amazing is that? It's awesome, and you know it's it's kind of like you know when you look at you remember when Tim Lin, Tim Lincecum went to arbitration the first year he'd won two Cy Young awards already, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying Ventura's going to win a Cy Young award, but you know he got what ten million dollars I think that first year, yeah, you know, and so arbitration well, did, always sorry. escalate too, so like that's his starting point on arbitration, well, so awesome. I don't mean to interrupt, but no, uh, I mean ahead. on the arbitration thing. What would what was David Price's settlement? And he he'd only won one Cy Young, even though he'd been a top pitcher for years. What was it like nineteen million or something? Like in his last year of arbitration, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just so, big numbers. Yeah, so I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you're competing with, and you're taking that upfront risk of well, over the next five years, he could get hurt. Maybe he doesn't pitch at all for two years, recovering from Tommy John surgery, or. You know, that, that's that's the risk that you're taking with the reward being maybe he does. Maybe he does yeah. pitch. Maybe he's as good as he was in not only last year but in the playoffs last year. And he becomes a true legitimate ace. And <clears throat> just from from what I see with my own eyes, man, he's a special talent. He is a special kid. Yeah. You, you go out there, he looks different than any player in my life that I've seen come up for the Royals and it's a not only is it talent but it's an attitude you know and and it's a kind (laughs) of a swagger he looks like he belongs when you talk about being an elite player at his position as good as Hosmer is right now and as good as he can be Hosmer he still kind of looks like he's not ready to assume that role he still kind of looks a little tentative to me you know he yeah he has that kind of like if you see him on the plaza, he's going to be cocky because he's Eric Hosmer. But in the, con- <laughs> but in the context of baseball, 
you know, going up against the Mike Trouts and the SIL Puigs in terms of really young, talented players, he doesn't look the same. You know, he doesn't have that same feel to him when you see him play the game. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's just my observation of what it what it seems. Same with Mike Moustakis. And, you know, you saw it with uh, I feel like you saw it with Alex Gordon a little bit when he was younger. And, you know, you don't see that with your Donovan Ventura. There's no fear. There's no fear of other players. There's no fear of being overmatched. There's no fear of failure. He just goes out there and he just rips it all day long. And the talent can back it up. Now, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's something, it's, it's just something, it's special to see. I have to watch every time he pitches because it's, you know, my, my wife will be watching TV, whatever, and, and, I try and limit the times that I take over the TV, but I will either take it over and if there's something she absolutely has to watch, then I'm on my phone, on the iPad, whatever. I have to see it because it's it's amazing to me to see him pitch. It's just it's crazy. It's a it's a kid who can hit a hundred miles per hour as a starter, uh, has a really good curveball that he's getting a better feel for and already has a really good feel for a changeup. And that's wicked like that i mean he'll throw that curveball like 84 with a lot of sharp break on it and when you're talking you know you got a guy up there at the plate trying to hit 100 and you throw this thing that's moving all over the place i mean there's no chance i mean some of the spring training games where he was up against minor leaguers uh like he was just buzzing through them like they were they were walking to the dugout before the pitch crossed the plate because they knew they were fooled and so um, I, I, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Like he's just electric. I mean, is he going to get hurt? Yeah, probably pitchers get hurt. Um, but I mean, if he doesn't, then you've got a lot of value in a kid for a lot of years. Um, he's just got to stay out of fights too <laughs> and hydrate because what we saw in his first two starts, his first start, he he threw a pitch to Adam LaRoche, who fouled it back in, uh, I think this is the seventh inning, first batter of the seventh inning. And uh, I was at that, that was opening day, and I was at that game, and I watched the foul ball go towards the back and up into the high V level and whatever. And I looked back on the field, and I'm like, Ventura's on the ground. I'm like, what happened? Like, did he come off the mound and turn his ankle? What I couldn't tell. It ends up, it's like a cramp in his hand. And then uh, his second start against the Angels, he ends up giving up a single to uh, Mike Trout. I think what the sequence was was that he was throwing a pitch. Trout called time just before he was going to throw it. Uh, Ventura kind of came up and in on him. Then Trout hits a hard single. Ventura watches him the whole time when he's running to first. Turns around that Trout ends up scoring, and Ventura's there to back up the throw, and there's words exchanged. Um, you, know, you got Mike Trout, whose neck is about as thick as Ventura's waist. <laughs> um, you know he's he's six three or whatever. Ventura's you know five eleven. Five eleven. You know it, it was it was it was a man versus a boy, but he wasn't backing down either. Like he was back to the swagger angle. He, he was he was down. ready to go. It was like you're screw you. You know I'm just gonna hit it, hit it if you can. Um, it was, you know, it was a little immature. I mean, it was, but yeah. you know, it, it just showed, I mean, if he gets that but, harness, pff, man, Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a little immature, but I, I, I kind of like where it comes from. I like, you know, not being afraid of Mike Trout, similar to what you were saying about going up against some of those single double A players in, in, in spring training, you almost feel like there are pitchers that someone like Mike Trout can go up against 
or someone like Miguel Cabrera, and it's over before they even get up there, they're going to get a hit because they're, the pitcher's already beaten his own mind. You know, So mm-hmm. to have that fearless mentality, you know, he needs to keep it under control. He needs to not do dumb things like try and goad Mike Trout into a fight, but still keep that attitude portion of not being afraid of anything and challenging those guys because sometimes you know, people like that that are so used to everyone falling over – don't necessarily like to be challenged as much. You know, I mean, right. they're not saying that's how Mike Trout is, but you look at his performance in the playoffs last year and you kind of wonder a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah. he he got you know, popped look, in the mouth. And you look at, you know, someone like Alex Rodriguez, he was just destroyed everything his whole career, but his he is just a horrible playoff statistics. He has not played well over his career in the playoffs. And, you know, sometimes that kind of happens. So it, it, it's, <clears throat> it's an interesting dynamic and to your your injury um thing you know we talked about if he stays healthy and he's had two starts they've been great starts but he's left both of them excuse me with uh some kind of minor injuries both cramps yep and <clears throat> you know it's something the the people people always talk about how good the royals training staff is well the Royals training staff needs to identify what it is that Jordano Ventura is doing that is causing him to not be hydrated enough, to, to have cramps, whatever the hell it is, and fix it. Because right. they need to stop giving me a damn heart attack every time Jordano Ventura buckles over and looks like his arm or leg is about to fall off, and it just turns out to be a cramp. So yeah, they they said something in the star that it was like oh he's not eating enough on game days or something you know okay but uh, make him yeah <laughs> you know or or hydrate him somehow you know I uh, he can't keep coming off the field with the trainer at his side uh, and I'm I'm sure the next time he's out there it's not going to be the same just because they've already seen it twice and and so you know they're going to yeah. be extra careful to make sure that he's, you know, getting set there. Um, otherwise we're, I mean, we're going to have to take up volunteers and find people to, you know, go hand them bananas and Gatorade and, yes. you know, orange slices and stuff between innings, which I mean, why not? I mean, Irvin Santana was doing it before. So, you know, just, Hey, you know. whatever, whatever you need to stay out there. Just, right. not only just, because... just be sure to check the chemical uh, ratio of, Whatever you're putting yes. into your body. Make sure there's no those aren't stanozolol laced <laughs> right. bananas, please. <laughs> the one true king. Yes, if you will. <laughs> um, but uh so your Donna Ventura has been pretty exciting, but he's not the only one, obviously. No. And one of the players that we touched on in the first segment with Camler a little bit, um, Lorenzo Kane, ladies and gentlemen. If if last year where he hit over 300 wasn't enough. And last October, where he wins ALCS MVP wasn't enough. The dude has arrived. And he is, he got a late start. You know, whatever mm-hmm. the reason was, it was his first year in Kansas City. He was blocked by uh, Melky Cabrera. And then, you know, I'm not sure what the story was in, in Milwaukee, why he wasn't up. Maybe he just wasn't ready, but. He got a little bit of a later start, but right now, as of today, right now, I don't know that you you'd be hard pressed to find a better defensive center fielder. And even just right. even overall, you know, he's still in the conversation for one of the best center fielders in the game. I mean, you've got Mike Trout 
who's obviously the best player in all of baseball, at least in my opinion right now. So it's, you can't really compare, but after Mike Trout, if you want to look at all the center fielders right now, as of nine games into the season and really, you know, counting the last couple months of last season, you could put Lorenzo Kane up against anybody. And I think you'd have a good shot. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been the best player on the team right now and he's doing it on both sides. He's stealing bases. He's hitting the ball with power and making every play out in the outfield. And it's, it's, it's just like he never left October. And, you know, to see a guy, I mean, he's 29. So like you said, he's kind of a late bloomer, but I I think everybody kind of knows the story by now that, you know, didn't really play baseball until he was a junior in high school. And so he's going off a lot of just raw athletic ability, at least coming up through the minors, but he's also put in the work to become, you know, very good center fielder, good outfielder. Uh, you know, you've seen fast guys who can't field for crap. I mean, Joey Gathright can't field. No. You know, so, uh, you know, just guys like that. And now he's kind of got that that kind of confidence that he can hit as well. And that was you know, something I always had a question about was how is he going to hit? You know, we saw last year he would chase some of those breaking pitches going out of the zone. Um, you know, a lot of his hits were things that just kind of fell in, but if he's going to be driving the ball, I mean, that's a heck of a player. I, 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 you know, it's too early to really kind of project. Um, but he's already got two homers this year. It looks like maybe that's something that he's going for a little bit more. So if he's got that with everything else, uh, he might be the best player on this team. I mean, he was their player of the year in their awards ceremony last year, but he might be just their best player this year overall and that's you know coming from a team that's got Alex Gordon there and Sal Perez uh right there with him and you know both very good players for their positions already so I I think that's pretty cool just to kind of see it come up because it didn't seem like he was going to be you know like he'd be an everyday outfielder but not necessarily like a key player like if Lorenzo King got hurt that would be pretty devastating yeah and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, it would be tough for, like, uh, Mike Moustakis or Eric Hosmer uh, if they got hurt. But you could kind of fill in. You know, you could kind mm-hmm. of make it work. Um, but Kane, you really can't. There's, there's nobody who can replace what he's done and what he regularly does. So, like, between he and Sal Perez, it's like those are pretty much untouchable guys right now. And, you know, I would not have ever guessed that even in 2011 when I was a really big advocate of, of getting him in the lineup all the time. So yeah. um, that's really exciting to see, and I hope he keeps it up. Yeah, I mean, it was it was something where, just as you said, it was you thought he was going to be that everyday player, but if you could get a little bit more from him or, you know, just every once in a while he gave you that little something extra, then – he was going to be, you know, a good player to have. And now it's every day he's giving you a lot extra, you know, from what you, he's, he's establishing an entirely new baseline for himself. He did it for a full season. He hit 300. His OPS was seven to 50 last year. He only had five home runs, which isn't that, um, isn't that special, but everything else he did last year, was great gold glove caliber defense even though he didn't get one which is completely asinine but that's a different discussion yeah it's, um, it's more of like a like it's a more of a tech, yeah Just it's silly yeah but 
Um, Gold Glove caliber defense, you know, ALCS MVP, hit over 300. I mean, he he's he's shown it all, and he's he's basically you know if he can get that power to come around, he can be a, a legit five tool player. And of all the players in the Royals organization over the last ten years, Alex Gordon, Billy Butler. Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, I mean, just everyone, the the last person that you would expect to be the most important person on a defending AL champion team would have been Lorenzo Cain, and here we are. And so that just makes it so much better because you still got everyone performing to where, you know, the Eric Hosmers and Mike Moustakis and Alex Gordons of the world performing to where they should and then now you've got this extra elite player, which he is right now. He's an elite player. You know, we'll see if he can keep it up for the whole season. But as of today, he is. So when you add that into the mix, then all of a sudden, and you've got Salvador Perez and now Kendrick. I mean, it's just the top to bottom. The the lineup on this team is is something else right now. Yeah, it's it's not bad. Like there's not that obvious hole. Oh, I mean. Uh, Infante is is worrisome because he was so bad last year yeah. and has not gotten off to a good start, and we already know he's hurt. So yeah. that's a, a a big question mark. But yeah, I, they've got Alcides Escobar seems to be taking to the leadoff spot. Uh, Mike Moustakis, who we're going to talk about in a bit, is hitting second and he's doing well. What the hell is that? Um, you you want to see a little more from Hosmer, but Morales is kind of picking up the slack there. Rios was looking really good until uh, he broke his hand, so he's he's out for a while. Gordon is still kind of getting up to speed after the surgery. I'm not really worried about him. Uh, Perez is hitting for power. Um, you, you see kind of what a rejuvenated Perez can do. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty solid team. I mean, there's no huge weakness. There's no like real big standout, but there's no big weakness in that lineup. Uh, which is kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of like we, we bring it up a lot not maybe, maybe more on Twitter and maybe not so much on this podcast, but like how frustrating it is to see the Cardinals take a guy that not a lot of people have heard of and get like huge seasons out of them. And that's, Kind of what it's it it might turn out to be with Kane is like that's the guy that you know oh yeah he you know you know he's going to play well you know he's going to play a lot but you don't expect him to really jump out and be this three hundred hitter who's driving in runs and and catching everything in sight and that's that's pretty fun that's exciting and great for him I mean I, I wish I wish he was as young as people kind of perceive him to be because yeah. Uh, I, as young as his experience is, right? He's only yeah. played 366 games. Yeah, and and people, I mean, you, a lot of people would be surprised that he just turned 29, and it seems like he's more of like a 25 year old. But you know, it goes back to that, you know, that high school experience and the trip just to, you know, get caught up with everybody baseball wise. Yeah, and I mean, he's got five or five or six hundred plate appearances fewer than Mike Mustakas or Eric Hosmer. And they're both, you know, three, four years younger than him. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. I, I think Lorenzo Cain's even older than Billy Butler. I think so, yeah. Which is, <clears throat> you, you would never think that because Butler's been around since 2008 or 2007. Yeah. And so it, it's it's kind of remarkable that he's made those strides just, just even to get to this point. Like, he could do nothing else the rest of his career, and he's 
kind of done something pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'd but, say ALCS MVP is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I would. I mean, yeah. He, and it's 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 great because to your point about the Cardinals, you know, it's to see. I, I'm not sure um, how much it happened last year, but I'm sure it did. You know, when you had um, Orioles fans that were probably like, "Where the hell did Lorenzo Cain come from? Who is this guy?" Type of deal, you know. And yeah. like that, that's awesome because you know everyone. Everyone knew Mike Trout was going to be good when he came up, and you know, the Bryce Harpers of the world, and I mean even Eric Hosmer, you know, as a Royal in 2011 when the Royals were, you know, still terrible. Um, I wouldn't say terrible, just bad and getting better. But even then, you know, he was a cover story on ESPN when he came up, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was a big deal. Yeah, and uh, you know, Lorenzo Kane, no fanfare. He just kind of. 2012 he had an opportunity you know got the starting job got hurt 2012 or 2013 same deal had the starting job you know lasted a little bit longer got hurt and then last year he was finally he did have a little some some small injuries that kind of kept him out of some games and and one extended stint for like you know like a 15 day deal i don't even know if it was that far but um uh but he was able to put it together for a full season and and now, you know, uh, finally, here we are. And it's it's something that it's really it's awesome to see because he looks like a, a, just a really good guy. He has fun out there. Yeah. And the, the videos with him and Sal Perez are just adorable as hell. Sal Perez singing happy birthday or whatever to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Come on. Yeah. I mean, you know? and that's what makes the team so so freaking fun is just they, they do all this stuff and it's like it's not an it's not like raw raw stuff because they want to be good teammates. It's because they genuinely seem to like each other. It's uh, I mean, that's why it's so fun. I remember this is a few years ago. This is right after the Granky trade. Even um, I, I was talking with um, Josh Kuznick, who is the agent to Lorenzo Cain. At the time, he was the agent to Jeremy Jeffress, who came over in that trade too. And one of the things he told me, and I don't remember if this ended up in my Kings of Kaufman article or not, um, that I wrote after talking to him, but he was like, Lorenzo Cain is that guy that a lot of people are going to be getting jerseys of. And I, I was like, I, okay. I mean, I looked at his stat line, and I looked at like scouting reports from Baseball American stuff, and I was like, okay. I mean, I, I see that. I mean, obviously, he's talented, but... I just I thought to myself I was like I I don't know that I see that and now I'm like okay yeah I I totally see that like and now I'm like I need a Lorenzo Cain jersey <laughs> nobody nobody does not like Lorenzo Cain uh, how could you not like uh, how could you dislike him uh, you just can't and 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 he's um it's also he's an imposing guy too. So now that he's got the reputation, I mean, he's a big guy. I don't know how tall he is. Six, two, six, three, you know, he, and he's broad shouldered, you know, he doesn't have a, a Mike Trout tree trunk neck or anything like that. But, uh, you know, we saw it, we saw it in the early season. And if you, um, if you, I've actually got his, uh, his page pulled up here. Let's see. Do they have his, uh, a six, two, 205 pounds. And um, that's actually a little bit lower, a little bit, a little bit smaller weight wise than I thought. But he's got he's got kind of broad shoulders. And when he there was a game earlier in the season um, where he got hit and I've seen it before when he's gotten hit. And if he thinks it's the pitcher, 
that's mm-hmm. throwing at him, he'll kind of <coughs> he's got a scowl. <laughs> he he'll he'll stare at him, and you know, seeing him walk to first base with that, I mean, he's in a he he's a he's a scary dude. He's somebody that you know, if you if you were a fan of an opposing team, I think he would make you nervous just in general because he looks like a baseball player and he looks like someone that. He's just an imposing guy. I think that's that's something cool. That's something that I don't think the Royals have really had. And now Lorenzo Cain, with you know the confidence that he's received from how well he's performed and all the accolades, and then how well as the Royals are doing, it's now something where uh, you know he's. I could see him being that guy that like, man, I hate Lorenzo Cain for opposing fan bases, you know, because no <laughs> ball ever drops, and he's going to get a lot of hits and. <clears throat> And everything else, and that's maybe uh, maybe something we can hit on now. That uh, I, there's been I, I talked about Lorenzo Cain getting hit, and it's it's it was one of twelve so far hit by pitches yeah. for the Royals so far in just nine games. They've been hit. They have more hit by pitches than home runs at this point in the season which is insane well that's actually normal <laughs> is it really well i don't know it's, it seems like it would be it seems like they'd get hit more than they would hit homers i they, guess they don't i guess <laughs> but for how many homers they've hit early yeah, yeah. It's still maybe that's why it seems so strange to me because they've hit 11 home runs in nine games so which is very uncharacteristic of the royals um yeah <laughs> so but so there's been a lot of chatter particularly today and um this is thursday april 16th that we're recording this but uh, particularly today and um you know kind of all this week there's been a lot of chatter about hey are do people actually not like the royals now in terms of other baseball teams in the league because they do all the hand gestures. They're really excited. They jump out of the dugout to, to high-five people on home runs. And because of this, baseball's just ridiculously, weirdly archaic, unwritten rule set. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that you're, quote-unquote, not supposed to do. And the Royals do a lot of those things. And so there's kind of a theory going around that there's some – um, that a lot of the teams are kind of fed up with it, not happy, and they're targeting these Royals players, and that's why they've been hit by the pitch, hit by pitches so much earlier in this early in the season. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I don't know, I don't know how much I buy that. it, but if it was true, I like it. <laughs> I, I don't. I I love to have teams to hate, and I especially like to be the hated team. You know, right. we're because if you're fans, so exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, because if you're if you're the hated team, you're doing something right, right. And you know, it's the same deal with you know, name X player or whatever. And it's like, oh, you know, everybody hates playing against him, but if he's on your team, you love him. You know, if, from a fan base and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's that make it's the AJ Przinsky. I didn't want to. I, I that that was what popped into my head, but I didn't want to say it. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> rethinking this whole thesis <laughs> john we'll go with we'll go with john stockton there you go okay that's we'll that's it. fair enough yeah he was he was that. dirty as hell when he played oh yeah but if he was on your team you loved him yep and so uh i mean what do you first of all do you just seem like you didn't really think 
that that teams are, are to that point yet. But I mean, do you do you kind of want it to be a little bit? I mean, I it I find it really enjoyable to sit like during the Angels series, especially. Well, I think was it the Angels? No, I mean even the White Sox series. A lot of people were going out and retweeting like White Sox fans saying, "God dang it, I hate the Royals." I think it's it like the Angels just because of the playoffs last year. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like I'm not used to that. Like yeah. I, I'm not used to like teams like dreading playing the Royals like uh, or fan bases like oh god we have to play the Royals like for me it's like I don't want to play Detroit you know because Detroit always yep. hands us our lunch and 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 uh, <laughs> you know the the Yankees back in the day or the Red Sox it's like I don't really want to play them because they're usually so good and now it's like other teams and fan bases are are not really pleased to have to play the Royals and so when the Royals do stuff like you know, dance around and goof off and whatever and, and, and be happy. Yeah. I, that, I think that just adds to it. So, you know, if they, if they're going to be hated, man, I don't, I know the people who like the Royals. I know the, the fans who are fans of the Royals. Uh, you know what? If people want to hate them, I don't care. That means they're winning and I'll take it. I'll, it sounds fun to me. Yeah. And it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, um, like, Last year, or not last year, two years ago, uh, when Jacoby Ellsbury was on the Red Sox, I remember there was one game that the Royals played uh, against the. Um, it was a series kind of late in the season when the Royals were were kind of were, were still in the hunt in 2013, and um, you know the Royals obviously a lot of contact, a lot of a lot of kind of skew BABIP towards their favor, and playing against. Uh, the Red Sox, Jacoby Ellsbury covered so much ground in center mm. field. He's such a good center fielder that like it was so frustrating watching this series because he just caught everything. It seemed like some of the stuff that you know were dropping in against the Twins or the Tigers or whoever, you know, he was catching. And so for the you know the rest of the season, anytime they played the the Red Sox or I'd see the Red Sox play, I'd be like, oh man, I don't even I would never want to play the Red Sox because it just felt like you couldn't get anything, you know a lot of the things that you normally depend on bloop singles and stuff just weren't happening. And I feel like that's, that's the way, especially the angels fans early in the right. season have felt about the Royals. Cause in the playoffs, angels and Orioles, both, I'm sure their fan bases were just like, man, nothing is working. We just can't get anything over on these guys. And if you're the angels fans and you, you, that happened last year and then you get swept one of the first season series of the year, (laughs) you were the best team record wise in the American league last year, then uh, you're 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 going to get a little salty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and I freaking love that. I think it's awesome. I'm super stoked that fan bases are, they're not, they're not wanting to play the Royals and they're not feeling pity for the Royals and the Royals fan base. They're they don't want to play the Royals. That it's it's a breath of fresh air that was sorely needed, and it just feels awesome. Yep. And I, I you know I don't know. Uh, just to go back to the pitches and stuff, I'm not sure if it's a targeting in most cases. I think like when you talked about Kane, where he got hit, where Samarja plunked him, that was right after Musaka's home run. It was pretty clearly intentional. Um, yeah. But that's the only one that really, really comes to mind. 
Um, to me, I you know for me, I'm just looking like Alex Gordon's been hit four times. He kind of always gets hit. Yeah, that's kind of uh, his thing. Mustakas <laughs> has been hit four times, and uh, I think teams are trying to pitch him inside to make him pull it into the shift. Uh, I think that's all that's going on there. Um, but I mean, it could be something worth watching later, just because you know oils probably aren't going away. Yeah, and. We're gonna we'll, we'll hit on we'll finish up with hitting on Mustakas here in a second. But what I want to talk about right now, now that we're already on this on the subject here, is I mentioned some of the talking about how the Royals may be hated because of of their quote unquote defiance of all these, if you will, the unwritten rules of baseball. One such rule that has has kind of been a, a hot button. This discussion topic in the city as well, besides there as a kind of a factor of the hit by pitches, is retaliation. <clears throat> so the prevailing thought, I don't know, I wouldn't say prevailing thought, but typically in baseball... Traditional thought. Yeah, is, is if, if, if you hit our guy, we're going to hit your guy. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. That's how it's done. Quote, unquote, policing the game. Which, I'm just going to get this out there. I'm going to just give my thoughts on it right now, and then I'll, I'll let you tell me how stupid I am or whatever, So, <laughs> which happens quite often. However, I think it's the most ridiculous thing ever for retaliation. I wouldn't say ever. That's, that's, that's shooting a little far. But I think in terms of sports, it's completely ridiculous, this whole topic of retaliation for hitters. I mean, okay. So you hit our player even if you're targeting right you hit our player it's like i don't i just i don't understand where the thought process comes of we are going to hit you back because first of all it's the second person that always gets caught if you ever mm-hmm. watch a football if you ever watch a football game and there's a personal foul for something that happens after the play that's what the announcers always say and it's always true the second person always gets caught so you're putting yourself in greater risk just from an extraneous penalty by having that that thrown at you but then the the biggest issue that i have with it the reason is it gives them an advantage it puts a uh, it puts someone on base without them having to earn it just so you can prove a point this doesn't make sense to me at all how <laughs> would you do this would you ever just okay you your um your football team right and your quarterback just your quarterback gets speared in the back and it's a 15 yard penalty. You know, are you going to, are you going to punt on first down just to give them the ball back so that you can spear their quarterback? Or are you going to spear their quarterback in retaliation the next time they get the ball? No, because you don't want to give them 15 yards. You don't want to give them a free first down. You don't want to give them any advantage that they don't have to earn. But in baseball, for whatever reason, that's what happens. That's, that's the standard people, People request that you do this. You see fans on Twitter. You see people, announcers on, you know, old school guys on SportsCenter or whatever. And they're, oh, you got to hit them back. You got to retaliate, all this stuff. Oh, it just, it aggravates me to no end because it's just, if you want to get them back, then fucking look at the scoreboard. (laughs) Just go, you know, the Royals are up. Rolls are up 12 to three against the twins after, and they get plunked and it's like, well, that's the perfect time. Cause they have such a big lead. It's, <clears throat> you know, no, like if I, if I was ever in any sport that I ever played, if I ever got frustrated and I was out there 
um, you know, whether it was basketball or baseball or lacrosse or whatever, and I would just get frustrated at something that the other team uh, was doing or, you know, just because I was I was mad about the game or whatever, then the, the, the thing that made it worse that would make me even more frustrated is if they didn't care. If they didn't care that I was upset because they were <coughs> – excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. It, that's how that's how upset I'm getting worked up. I have to cough. Um, <laughs> if they if they just didn't care because they were they were up ten to three or they were up whatever the hell the score is, they didn't care that I was upset because it didn't matter to them. That made me even more frustrated. You know, if they would have gotten into it with me and whatever, it's like, well, then I accomplished something. I know you got I'm losing. Game. I'm losing, but I can still get you somehow. You know, and that's what it was. But. <laughs> But but if they just if they just dismissed it and didn't care and kept on destroying us and scoring more goals or, or scoring more runs or whatever the case may be, then that would that would make me infinitely more angry. That's what the Royals need to do. And just and that's what they have been doing to their credit. I haven't really seen any full on retaliation. I've seen some um some hit some the Royals pitchers have, have hit some batters themselves, but I can't really think of one that was legitimate retaliation. <clears throat> Duffy but, threw um, behind Duffy, LaRoche. Yeah, and, okay, there was the Duffy yeah, one. That's, yeah, I was, was thinking Duffy it. did something, but he didn't actually hit him. No, he just threw behind him. It but was very anyway. clearly intended for... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely a uh, uh, message received. <laughs> but, yeah, it wasn't anything where but, they... I mean, like, Joe Maurer didn't get anything in the back. You know, they didn't hit Jose no, Abreu. or freaking break his hand. Right. So... So tell me, am I off base here? What are, I mean, you you with me? Are you against me? Tell no, me. I mean, I I think it's I I get where it comes from, and a lot of it is like the old frontier kind of you know eighteen nineties, nineteen teens, whatever, you know that kind of old brand of baseball where guys went in spikes up and the ball was covered in chaw and things like that. You know, that's kind of where it comes from, and it's I I get a little bit the idea behind it get why it's like a cardinal law you know it's like okay yeah you got being you got a free runner you know bring that guy around that's the worst penalty they can get is you know the guy they gave you for free comes around to score i mean a lot of times it happens in blowouts or you know uh, you kind of hear announcers bring stuff up like if it's a late season series just because okay well we can get the last one but I, I don't it's just it seems like it's just a bunch of macho junk. You know, I think there's maybe one or two instances where the Royals got hit intentionally. Uh I mean, is that worth going crazy about? I, I don't think so. Well here's you know? here's another question. Like is it is it really the prevailing thought amongst, you know, quote unquote baseball people that if if we go out there and we don't retaliate and hit them back, then it's just going to be open season on our guys, and everyone's going to go throwing throwing at our hitters and give us free bases. Like we don't even we don't even want these free bases. You know, what I mean, like is that is that really the? Pro- I feel yeah. I just it seems that. like at a certain point the other team who's always throwing at you, it's going to be pretty noticeable. I mean, it's just there's but, not there's not a benefit to just going out and trying to nail guys. The Twins gave up two runs because they had bases loaded, loaded, and they um, hit two hitters. So it was two, wasn't it? 
Or was it just one? Uh, I think it was two. Yeah, okay. So it was two runs they gave up. And, I mean, <clears throat> if, if, if that's your fear, that they're just going to go out and plunk hitter after hitter because you don't retaliate, freaking let them do it. Take the runners. Score the score the runs. Take a full base. Get two guys on and hit a double and score them both. I mean, hell, it just it doesn't it, make sense. Usually, when they when they do it, I mean, you're aiming for the dude, you know, in the back, you know, in the you know, or, or on the butt, you know, somewhere right. where it's not going to hurt them. So, like when Rios got hit, the the circumstances of that were just like, okay, you're you're not going to hit a guy with the bases loaded. Um, it was a double A or it was a, a rule five guy who hadn't pitched above double A. Uh, came in with bases loaded. First I think it was his, first, think it was his game, right? first pitch on, on opening day for that team. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I can see how that pitch is going to get away from him. If you're going to be in a guy, I mean, you're, you're not trying to take away a guy's livelihood. You're trying to send a message and, I don't, I mean, what I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't really see why it's such an instant reaction that, okay, we're going to plunk this guy. I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to, to, to work with anything beyond just being, you know, guys trying to bark and, and do things. You know, the Royals just go out and score runs, you know, hit them on the scoreboard where it counts most. You know, yet at the end of the year, they don't give you a trophy if you backed up more of your teammates than the other guys. You know, they give you that if you win games. Yeah. And I don't. I like, don't see how being like they dude, won last year. Right. I don't see how how a beanball war wins you games. No, that's because it doesn't. That's yeah, just, it doesn't. It's silly. So I, you know, and it, it sucks that Rios got hurt in that situation, and he was he was pretty angry. Well, not. It, not angry, like the the way Andy McCullough was very careful to describe him was that he was calm. But you read the words of what he said about the pitcher who hit him. You know, it was he wasn't he was not pleased. He was not pleased. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and why would you be? He broke his hand, yeah. and he was having a really good season so far. And the Royals were rolling, and now he's out. And well, I mean, they've lost two games since he's been out. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what that says, but there it is. What it is, but yeah. It's... Uh, so, <clears throat> I think our last topic of discussion here that we'll finish up with is everybody's favorite topic in Kansas City to talk about with the Royals, Mike Moustakis. All right, so last year, as we remember, he actually got sent down when he when you drop below the 150 batting average mark in May. <laughs> That's when, or in was it May or was it June? It was May. It was I, late May, I think. Yeah, I think he came back up in June. Like yeah, third week of June. He was only down for a couple weeks, but anyway, sounds right. Um, <clears throat> he was uh, just awful, and you know, ended up having some postseason heroics. Had a good spring training, but he always has a good spring training. And so it was always fixed, you know, and it's like, well, it remains to be seen. Yeah. So, But in the early going so far, the returns have been pretty good. I mean, he's had um, I'm going to pull up his stats here so I can get them all exactly right. But he's hitting 379. Right? This is not counting today, but he's hitting 379. He's had two home runs, 500 on base percentage, you know, only that's only after eight games because it's not counting for today, but all the same, that's pretty good. Very unmoose like statistics. Uh, but 
this is something where, you know, if you look at, and we advocate use of a lot of stats here, um, <clears throat> but this is a scenario <clears throat> where I think we're going to advocate kind of the, the, the opposite way, where if you look at the stats, it looks like he's having off to a just really, really great start, and he is off to a pretty good start statistically, but the eye test, it doesn't tell the whole story, does it? It really doesn't. And like the thing just before the season, uh, it came out that Ned Yost was, well, one, he was contemplating batting Mustak the second. And then it came out that, okay, he's going to do it. And I came out pretty strongly against that because you look at what he's done over his career. And it's just like, uh, I'm willing, I'm more willing to give credence to his career numbers uh, versus what he did in October where, yeah, he hit the home runs, but his on-base percentage was still below 280, um, which is even worse than his career rate. And, you know, I'm not going to – I'm going to give more weight to his career numbers than one month of spring training where we've seen him rake in spring training. But they said, okay, well, he's going with this new approach. He's trying to beat the shift and you know he's really taking to it and you saw it in spring training you saw that okay he's he's hitting the ball the other way he's willing to lay down that bunt against that shift and take that single and uh you know he's he's always kind of been a decently patient hitter uh he actually a surprising stat i did not know he saw the most pitches per at bat last year <clears throat> had no idea <laughs> didn't know that at all um Probably has the most foul balls as well. It's would be my guess. It's possible, um, but if you look at him this year, yeah, he's he's the numbers look really good right now. He's got two homers. That one in Anaheim was just a, a bomb, uh, no doubt about that. Shot. It really was. He doubled today. I haven't seen it yet because the game was going on while I was at work. But um, you know, otherwise, every other hit has been to the left side. So it really seems like okay, he's taking this to heart. But, you know, I've seen all but two of the games. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of the spring training games either through, you know, various, uh, you know, MLB TV had a lot where they would broadcast. And, you know, you, you can tell a little bit by the radio broadcast. Um, a lot of those shots are really just like little bloopers that just kind of happen to fall between the outfielder and the infielder. Um there was one on opening day where it was pretty much just like a cue ball shot off the end of the bat that happened to stop 15 feet in front of the third baseman. It, he's not really driving the ball to left field. He's just hitting it to left field. And when you look at everything else he's doing and you know he's popped up like 40% of the time onto the infield, uh, which he's notorious for that, that pop up to third base. Uh, yes. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's doing a lot of the same things, except he's consistently he's making a concerted effort to hit it to the left side. And I'm I I don't know that it's necessarily something where it's the best approach because he's he seems to be sacrificing hard contact for uh, just the sake of going to left field. And so teams are just going to pitch him inside. And if you're trying to take an inside pitch and hit it to the left side, it's going to be pretty difficult to do that. It's tough to to you know, get a good hard shot out there. Um, 
and that's why I'm skeptical of these. I mean, through nine games, his numbers look good, and you know, some people are like, "Hey, man, give him give him ten games, and, and see how they're doing." It's like, okay, but I I still think that there's a possibility where, yeah, he's doing all the things that they said he would do, but I still think over the course of the year, it's not going to be something he can get away with, and uh, I'd kind of like to see him just, you know, unleashed on an inside pitch every now and then. Yeah, and <clears throat> it's one of those things where if if you could if he could channel it in the right way and you know, a pitch on the outer half of the plate, he can he can kind of poke it the other way and mm-hmm. steal a hit, if you will. And but those ones on the inside he just turns on and unleashes, then you're in a much better scenario. But it seems as though because of the the wholesale almost sellout approach to try and hit it the opposite way to to get over to to get away other to get other teams away from using the shift mm-hmm. the end result is he loses a little bit of a little bit of something when when you see him play and he's not getting that solid contact that i mean you know yeah he only hit 215 last year or whatever it was but Usually, when he was hitting, it was solid contact, and he was getting he would get a lot of doubles and and home runs. I mean, considering how little he hit, you know, he still hit 15 home runs last year and five in October. So, you know, that was kind of the thing, almost you know, sell out for power. And now it's almost the opposite way. So, I think there's two things that can come of this. You know, he either just becomes a completely different hitter and maybe hits for higher average, but is going to hit less home runs overall and just going to have a lot of weak contact. And that's going to be kind of who he is and just try and make it work. Or if the Royals are smart, this is more or less a temporary thing that to get teams to stop putting on that massive shift and play him a little bit more straight up and then just say, okay, you know, now, now they're not playing the talking about now they're, in now right they're field. Not, yeah, now they're not doing that. So use the skills that we've taught you about hitting the other field when the situation calls for it. But otherwise, you know, concentrate on pulling the ball, hitting it with authority. And you know, you you, you hope that's the case, but then you also have to wonder if is is Mike Mustakis as a player able to discern that difference of when he should be going for, um, you know, hitting that, that kind of poking it into left field versus when he should be swinging with authority, you know, is it, or is it something where he's already made his mind up, you know, when, when the, when the pitcher winds up, he knows, all right, I'm trying to hit it to left field. I have to swing easy because I need to just focus on contact, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, I'm going to swing hard and try and turn on this. You know, is it, I don't know. I, I know what I think. And I think that as a player, he probably doesn't have the ability to, to kind of change mid at bat, mid pitch almost how uh, how his approach works. But, you know, his, his history suggests his that's history right. doesn't suggest that that's the case. But. You know, if if he was able to do that, then I do think he can realize so much of that potential that was there when when he came up. Yeah, I, I I'm interested because if he keeps doing this, I think one of two things will happen: either teams will stop going with the shift and play him more straight up, and then he can kind of 
you know, unleash and, and then, you know, it's kind of the cat and mouse and he can just kind of go with the situation, which is kind of the hopeful thing or teams, you know, the reason teams often do that shift is because, you know, let's say David Ortiz comes up. All right. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of different things that he might hit a bomb into right field or he might lay down a bunt. Well, you'll concede that bunt if it means he's, you know, you got this really big dude on first base. You're going to, you're usually going to take that and be comfortable with it. If, if it really discourages him from trying to swing for the fences. So if, if Mustakas is still hitting the ball, like Norioki and slapping it over to left field, you know, I think teams are, are inclined to let him go ahead and keep doing that, you know, and they'll keep shifting on him. And so that, you know, yeah, let's throw him inside. And if he's never going to turn on him, we'll, we'll, we'll take those bloopers to left and, and take our chances on those falling in. And if they do, well, good on you, but you know, it's only going to be a single rather than potential double where he rips it, you know, into the right field gap or hits it over the right field fence or something. And so uh, that, it's, it's interesting because he's a guy who in the past has said that he doesn't look at video and I, you know, I, I, I don't have, not only that he doesn't look at it, he doesn't need it. Yeah. Him. And I, I just, I mean, I've, I've never, I'm not around them to know, you know, what other preparations he does. Um, you know, so I, I, I think it's interesting to see how he will adjust and how the league will adjust to him. And uh, I I want to be I want to believe. But as long as he's doing those pop ups and, and hitting the ball, you know, soft pop ups to third base or first base, I I just can't buy in yet. Uh, I can't buy in until he gives me a reason, you know, no reason to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's got a at this point in his career, he's had enough plate appearances. He's had enough statistical knowledge to back up, you know, what the prevailing opinion is on him that he needs to make us take notice and make us change our opinions because <clears throat> the most realistic picture picture of who Mike Mustakas is as a player is what's already out there. You know, it's up to him to change that. And if he can, fantastic. I would love to be wrong. Oh, about yeah. Mustakas being a great hitter, but you know, as of now, what we have to go on suggests that he is not, and the eye test suggests that this is probably not going to, while it may be, the, the returns may be good right now, overall may not be the best thing for Mike Moustakis. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the season because everybody's kind of elated now, but if it's weak contact after weak contact, um, you know, I mean... <clears throat> If he is able to replicate his home run total right now and he's able to hit if he gets mostly weak contact, but then every, you know, third game, you know, whatever whatever it is, is able to to turn on one and let it loose, mm-hmm. you know, then I would take I mean I, I'd take it. Then you're I mean what like what 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 are his numbers now? <laughs> he's got two home runs already, so two homers that's and a forty and home home run pace. And so his slash line is what three seventy nine five hundred six twenty one. So I mean that's obvious. Yeah, I mean I can't really. I mean, can't complain about that. But yeah, I, but I just if don't. He, if he's hitting two fifty, gets you twenty five home runs with a three hundred on base, and you know probably you know five hundred slugging or whatever. He'd have a higher on base than that. He walks pretty well, but I mean, point taken. Regardless, <laughs> yeah, just just making the point that if if yeah. his slash line suffers quite a bit, even, but he's he's still giving you 25 home runs and, and hitting some doubles, then 
you know, yeah, yeah. And, you take that even if the rest of everything is just weak contact. Yeah, I mean, I would take. I mean, that would be great. I mean, it's like his 2012 season where he was pretty good, well, relative to the rest of his career. I mean, I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But uh, you know, he's got to get back there, and and maybe this is it. I mean, I'm like you said, I'm I'm happy to be wrong about it. I just. Eh. And just don't know that we are. <laughs> yeah, I just I can't buy it yet. I mean, it's the same thing that like you can look at Gordon and yeah, his numbers don't look good, but I don't think he's going to be hitting one seventy all year. No, you know, he's going to get healthy and he's going to get his timing back, and mm-hmm. I think he's going to be right back to what he usually does. Mm-hmm. And then you get Mustakas, and I think he's going to you know batters, players they usually trend towards what they are unless there's yeah. a very 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 distinct adjustment made like Jose Bautista changed his swing yeah. and suddenly hits homers or JD Martinez kind of did the same thing. And now he's hitting homers all the time. Yeah. You know? Or maybe, and maybe Moose is going to have to look that far to see someone like Alex Gordon and see, okay, you know, maybe it can just click after a few years and for yeah. whatever reason, it just took a little while, but you know, I, who knows? Until I mean, I at what point would you say, okay, I'm comfortable saying he's quote fixed, Mike? Well, like late 2017. June. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you know, after Alex Gordon 2007 through 2010, yeah, he he was average to below average baseball player. And I was in the camp in 2010 advocating, get rid of him. He still had a little value because of his such a high reputation when he was in the minors. So get what you can for him is what I was, my thought was, but they stuck with him. And, but even after 2011, that great season that he had, it's still kind of like, prove it. yeah. And then after 2012, it was like, okay, well now I think I'm ready to buy in. And then 2013 and it was finally like, okay, boom, it's legit. Alex Gordon is a star. He's dependable now, and it has been. You know, in 2014, he carried it on again and continued to play at that high level. So, <clears throat> you know, if, if Moustakis can carry, you know, 85% of what he's doing now for the rest of the season and be a really good, which would make him a very good baseball player, then, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then if he can do that and keep it going for, you know, relatively close to that for another year or two, then I'm right. I mean, by then he'd be ready to, to ship out of Kansas by City. Then, but, yeah, he's out of here. <laughs> but at, you know, it, it, that's how long it would take me to truly buy in. Um, and now as far as buying in for this season, if it's mid June and he, like you suggested, and he's hitting above 300 and he's got, you know, 12 home runs and everything's looking that good. Then I'll be like, okay, I, I I'd be pretty confident that he's going to end up having a good season. Yeah, I mean that's two months. So Homer a week would put him at about ten. So yeah, you yeah you probably do that. I think you could. So mm. we'll we'll just have to see. Again, I would love to be wrong. Um, yeah, I'm I'm always fine being wrong as long as it means the Royals win baseball games. Yes, I, don't, I was I was wrong about the team last year. I am not be happier. My American League champion Royals plaque that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> Is I'm perfectly okay with. My pride can take it. Absolutely. <laughs> what little there was to begin with can be eradicated by the Royals. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Pretty true. Yep. So, well, with that, I think we'll leave you. We had a pretty jam-packed show here, but we had a ton to talk about because it's yep. been a I'll couple weeks, up. unfortunately. So, 
we're going to try. I know I feel like we always say this, <laughs> but we're going to try and keep a good schedule going. Sometimes life gets in the way. Sometimes people, as you can, you can hear me coughing today and some of my throat. I'm still getting over a little bit of sickness. Mike is as well. Yep. So, you know, hopefully – now that stuff gets in the way, and we can tune in and talk some some Royals baseball. Um, and I have a confession to make. We didn't really talk about it, and it's too late to get into it now. But I still have not watched the last four episodes of Walking Dead last season, so I need to get oh on that. Got to talk. Got to talk about this at some point. So, but with Royals baseball, my night, a lot of my nighttime viewing has been yeah. Here, so my DVR is uh, <laughs> neglected, to yes. say the least, right now, just because well. The Royals. I mean, that's what it is. That's yeah. how it goes. Yeah, but the the wife has decided um, that she wanted to try the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and we watched that. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's I know funny. you watched. It. I've seen you make some references. That's yeah. a really good show. You never would have thought, but it's a really good show. Yeah. So, but we got we got we got plenty of time to talk about all that stuff the rest of the season. So, thanks everybody for stopping in. I know it's a long show. I hope you stuck with us. We had a lot of good stuff to talk about, and it's a lot of fun. It's been unbelievably fun in the early going hopefully the royals can keep this going and we can have just a blast talking about them all season so thanks for coming in we hope you'll come back we're gonna try and get on on our weekly schedule again um so hopefully uh, we'll be able to do that for you and get you out get you out some content every week uh but thanks for thanks for stopping in for us as always i'm your host jeff <laughs> with me of course michael engel kansas city baseball vault Brought to you by Kelly's Westport Inn. Thanks for stopping by, and as always, go Royals. You have been listening to a Royals Podcast Network presentation. Hey, how do I sound? Do I sound okay? You, you sound kind of like an old-timey announcer guy a little bit. Hello <laughs> there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome this afternoon to the old Skypole. Exactly. Well, I was I a little mean, worried about that. This is more of a self-quality self than Wi-Fi, but... Sorry. I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a little tinny, but it's clear. So. Are you calling me fat? Is that what you're? I don't know what tinny means. Is that you calling me fat? Like it sounds like you're talking inside of a tin can, tinny. Oh, okay. That, that makes more sense. Yeah. I like right. old timey better, but. <laughs> we'll go with old timey. Old timey is fine. Now we're now we're calling you old though. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's kind of a lose lose for you here. Yep. I just, I, it's, I'm getting called everything. It's fine. Hi, boys. How are things? Chris Gambler, everybody. Chris <laughs> Gambler. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.